Welcome to the New Books Network. This is the Nordic Asia Podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia Podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Therese Gagnon. I am a postdoctoral researcher at the Nordic Institute of Asian Studies in the Department of Political Science at the University of Copenhagen. I'm here today speaking with Heso Thako. Heso is a committed worker on behalf of refugees on the Thai-Myanmar border. Heso is also currently a PhD candidate at the Department of Peacebuilding at Payap University in Thailand. He has been working with refugee communities and community-based organizations along the Thai-Burma border for the last 20 years. His research interests include refugees and IDPs, ethnic education, and border issues in Thailand and Burma. Heso is the Director of Education and Livelihood Programs for the Karen Refugee Committee. In addition to this, he is also a member of the Steering Committee and a co-founder of the Asia-Pacific Network of Refugees. Heso is also the Director and Chair of the Karen Peace Support Network, which is an organization working for peace in Southeast Burma. Heso, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, it's a pleasure to talk with you. And I might note that Heso is also a friend of mine and we have done some writing together in the past. So it's always a wonderful opportunity to get to speak with you. Today, we're going to be discussing a little bit of an update on the situation on the Thai-Burma border, especially concerning refugees and IDPs in the area. To provide our listeners with a little bit of background, so maybe you can fill us in on what has been happening in southeastern Burma along the Thai-Burma border since the coup in Myanmar that occurred on February 1st, 2021, and especially the latest events that have happened since December of this year? Yes, Southeast Burma has been always a better field probably for the last few decades. And that's where a lot of uh, current people uh, uh, live in this area. So after 2021, February coups, the situation has become worse day by day. And most recently on the month of December, second week, where the fighting broke out between the local people defense forces and the current army. And so that's actually creating another phase of civil war that we have been experiencing for the last few years. The current situations we are witnessing is continuing and the people in that area has been displaced since the beginning or early December. And we estimate around 20,000 are being displaced because of the fighting between the Korean army and the Burmese army. And the Burmese army, with their reinforcement to the Korean area, which is actually prohibited, enter into Korean area on the beginning of 15 December. And that's where they encountered the Korean army and then the fighting broke up. So it displaced people in that localities in the western and southern part of the uh, Niawudi Township in the current state. And many people have crossed to Thailand and of course 10,000 more are hiding in the border area between Thailand and Burma. So in Thailand, initially we have around seven to 8,000 people who have crossed to Thailand and taken refuge in Thai side. 
and around a few more had a few more thousands hiding in, in, in the that area without projects to tie site. So since the new influx happened, um, we the local civil society and and community organizations has been uh, providing uh, emergency response to the displaced people who are sheltering both in Thailand and in currency in Burma. I see. And so for our listeners who may not be aware, there were air attacks that were happening over quite a few months since December of 2020 and then in spring of 2021. And many of those villagers were having to flee into the jungle. So Hiso, can you tell us, are there airstrikes that are happening again at this time? Yeah, actually, there are more airstrikes than we experienced experienced before. Mm. And most recently, on 25th December, the Burmese military carried out more airstrikes in the current region where people are not taking shelter. And that's probably after a long period of time, which we, the people there have not experienced the airstrikes. Comparing to other regions of the current area where there are frequent airstrikes, especially in the northern part or northwestern part of the current state. But this one, it's usually didn't happen before. And it was on December 25th that the Burmese carried out the airstrikes in retaliation of, of their soldier being killed and attacked because of the entry into the Korean control area. Mm, I see. Wow. So people are having to flee from those areas. And are they living mostly in the jungle on the on the Korean side of the border currently? Right. Yeah. The aerial airstrike as well as artillery mm. and a few of them actually fell into Thailand side as well. Mm. And usually the airstrike didn't make a lot of impact in terms of security environment, but actually it did, it's created a lot of mess because it, it's targeted anyone in that area, including the current soldier, but the, the people, the IDP who are hiding uh, in that area and as well as who are crossing in, in the Thai in the other sides of Thailand. So in other words, the, the strike just aimed at anyone, anywhere, and any building, they'd have no sort of limitations on that. And I know that in the past, sometimes the Myanmar military will target specifically farmers' fields as a way of really hurting people's livelihoods and their ability to stay in that place. So is that something that's been happening again this time? Yeah, it, it is here in... It is a harvesting season and supposed to be where people uh, finish their crops and for local Thai villager where it's time for them to sell their product. But the fighting just happened before that. And many of them actually I met, who I met personally, expressed their sorrow, expressed their happiness because they had to run away before able to harvest their crops or before uh, able to sell their crops. So um, it, it is really affecting their livelihood and as well as their incomes for the family. Mm, that's so hard. And I think a dimension of forced migration that maybe people don't always think about of a whole year's worth of work and labor yeah. and care yeah. that gets... Yes, for, the, for them, it is uh, an important season uh, because if you are not able to do the crops in the summer, then it affects the whole the whole year. And they have no other option when uh, they can rely on. In the same thing, uh, the end year plan is also important because it's harvesting and it's time when they will have to collect for the rest for the next seasons. 
So um, I can't imagine it's happening. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So you mentioned a little bit about the Thai government response, the uh, response on the Thailand side to these refugees who have been fleeing. So is it possible now for refugees to seek shelter in Thailand or is that quite difficult at the moment? Uh, they did a lot of refugee uh, when the fighting happened in, in early December and then led them to stay in few areas. But later on, not there were there are no refugees in Thailand taking shelter because uh, all of them are be asked to return, and some then uh, uh, return to Myanmar side or Burma side, and some of them are not returning, but they kind of taking refuge to the other seven area in the current state. So currently there is no refugee basically sheltering, new refugee basically sheltering in, in the Thai side. Yeah. I see. Uh-huh. So some people are returning to their places or returning to a different area. So essentially they became an IDP. Um, or... uh, there, there are just no people returning to their village where it is heavily affected because of the fighting. Or even if probably situations go back to normal, there are steriks, maybe because of landmine being played at by different uh, armed groups, we don't know. But there are, there are, there are issues of warning that it is not safe uh, to return to their villages at the moment. And some people uh, who are returning are basically not the whole family, just maybe one member's family uh, returning to look after their house's property or maybe their farms or animals. Yeah. I see. So those few people who go back, they go back at a considerable risk to themselves. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It is. It is not safe as all at the moment. Mm. And I think that there's been a little bit of discussion recently about the broader refugee situation. So some people may know there have been refugees from Southeast Burma living in Thailand for many years. And currently there are nine refugee camps on the Thailand side of the border. So they're are several thousand individuals who have been living in these camps for some time, and they are also facing some challenges. So when we think about the refugee situation, we can see there are people who are not really refugees in Thailand, but they have been displaced, as um, you just described. And then there are some who are living permanently in camps. So can you describe a little bit about the situation for those people who are living in the refugee camps in Thailand? Refugee living in refugee camp in Thailand are from Burma, and which include the current, probably majority of refugee. And of course, there are other ethnic groups speaking refugee as well uh, because of the ongoing civil war in Burma. And now there are nine refugees along the Thai Burma border and are under different uh, refugees committee. And that is current refugees committee in the northern part of uh, Thailand and current refugees. And of course, from north to south uh, and, and under current refugees committee, there are two camps and under current refugees committee, uh, there are two camps, yeah. So uh, we have nine refugee camps along the Thai Myanmar border. So uh, most refugees who have actually, who came to Thailand in early 1970 and 80s are the first generation's refugee. And 
probably many of them have resettled to different third countries. But there are also second and third refugees who actually, whose parents came to refugee before 2005 and are not uh, eligible for resettlement. And they are considered second generation refugee and grew up there, settled down, had family, and their children were kind of born and grew up there. So now we still have around 90,000 refugees um, along the Taibamad border in night camps. And most of them are second and third refugees who are, have no opportunity to be resettled and who actually have no attachment to the country of origin, such as Burma. And unfortunately, who have no document and stay considered as uh, illegal refugee or undocumented or stateless persons in Thailand. Mm. Yes, this is such a huge problem, the situation of refugee camps that endure across many years, as, as is the case for these refugee camps that have been in existence for 30 years, and people who are residents of those camps lacking any kind of citizenship or documentation in any country. So can you tell us a little bit more about some of the challenges that these second and third generation refugees are facing in their daily lives right now? Yeah, it's, it's actually very unfortunate and it's really sad to see that many of them actually have no future. When I talk about future, I mean, they are right as a person, as a human being, like any children in the world have. And those refugee children are deprived of those basic rights. And that's why I say they have no future in terms of having those basic rights, rights to education, rights to uh, freedom of movement, and right to have care services, and they don't have accept those services that provided within the refugee camp. So uh, I think for the past two decades, I no, I'm not trying to be actually pessimistic, but I say it's it has it has wasted a lot of time, and then and many of them has wasted time and energy, and that should not be because the children and young people in refugee can have so much to contribute. They have capacity, they have protections, but it is just because the opportunity is not given to them and they are not able to exercise. So um, I, I, I feel sad about it. And secondly, the lack of legal documentations. Many of these religious questions, where do I belong? Where, where is my identity? What is my citizenship? And we have no answers for them. We can't tell them you are from Burma and you belong to this country. But they didn't grow up there, they didn't born there. They have no attachment, they have no memories about the, the experience of the parents. Probably they have learned from the school, but um, they feel like they belong to where they, uh, they were born. And even scriptures can become their home for many of them. But stay at Deliman and, and, and a questions, abuse questions for them. Of where do they belong? What is my identity? What is my citizenship? And this is, it is a difficult question for us working uh, as refugees worker. We do not have the absolute answers for them. Yes, as you mentioned, many people who were actually born in Burma may not have any right. kind of citizenship or documentation because in Burma or Myanmar, actually a large number of people who, who are born there don't have a legal documentation, especially in the ethnic minority areas. So they're lacking this kind of legal status, even in their country where they were born. And what you say really 
resonates so much with some of the conversations that I had with young people when I was staying in Mela camp and teaching there. It was really, really hard to hear them talk about the kinds of things that you just described. And also, as you mentioned, but maybe just to highlight it a little bit more. So there are different kinds of refugee camps throughout the world, some where people who live in the camps can go freely out of the camp into the town and do work and others where people can't. And these camps along the border are the latter. So people are not able to go out to work freely or to go get education freely outside of the camp. They're basically confined to stay inside this relatively small area, which presents a lot of challenges. And recently, there have been some actual protests in Mela camp against some of the conditions and challenges that people are facing. So, Heso, can you tell us a little bit about what happened with these protests? I think this protest was the second protest that I, as far as I remember, the first time happened many years ago. And then this is probably the second protest. Uh, that's happened in, in the middle of December last year. And this protest was basically happened because of the dissatisfactions of the refugee of having be confined in the camps and without able to travel outside. I think basically starting since the coming of COVID-19 pandemic and the whole refugee camps was locked down and even refugees who have been left out outside the camp was not able to return because of the restriction of the movement in and outside the camps. So I can imagine since the early 2019, going through 2020, 2021, you all have been confined to the camp without able to travel and with very limited options that can be offered to them. And that they might have gone through a lot of depressions and angry, of course, that for not having opportunity like any other people. So I see that there are two things that actually underline this protest. The first thing is because of the prolonged stay in the refugee camp, confined refugee camp. Basically, they have no right to go outside the camp. So prolonged confinement in the refugee camp is one of the main actually causes that they have been going through for many, many years. Old people, young people, men, women, all of them has been confined in the camp for many, many years. And that actually added up not only to dissatisfactions of the administrations, but also anger that actually added up within it. And that's when it was just an explosion that they went to express. And so that was one of the main reasons. And I think the second reason also has to do with the rules and regulations being imposed. There are regulations, there are rules, camps rules that have to be followed within certain extents, but they are not rules that control and limited the opportunity. They are rules that make sure the camp management, the camp atmosphere is going where they are this peaceful coexistence in the camp, but they are not rules that we also give them an options or better opportunity. And that's why when COVID-19 pandemic enter the camps and spreading around the camp, there are more regulations being imposed, strict regulations. And that adding rules and regulations actually adding pressures to them as well. Because in return, there is no alternative options or solution that can be offered to them. So they feel left out, they, they feel excluded, rather than feel embraced by the community who have more opportunity, who have more right than the refugees community. So for me, I understood that because of these two idolized uh, issues that actually became a big protest in Mela refugee camp. Mm -hmm. 
when I heard about this protest in some ways, I was thinking I'm surprised that something, some protest like this hasn't happened sooner. Definitely there was a sense of, I think, pressure building for a long time. Can you tell us what was the response then from the Thai guards to this protest? After the protest, the refugees community demanded that the camp's commander, which they thought is the sole person responsible for the mismanagement of the camps, to be removed. That was their first demand. And second, they asked for freedom to go outside the camp without restrictions. And the third, that they would be alone to move around the camp without wearing masks or be alone not to take vaccinations as they thought as their basic right to do so. So these are three demands that they they laid out to the camps and for us to respond. So I think now the the whole accident is being investigated by the Thai authority and the former the old camps commander was already replaced by a new one. Uh, mm-hmm. which is actually probably met there of the demand. But uh, the other two demand of traveling outside, the alone to travel outside the camp, then other considerations because Thailand is still facing COVID pandemic. And we don't know if more restrictions will be imposed again. But the protests, in a way, trying to give message to us that they has been excluded from the rest of the community at this Thai society. And they need attention, they need our support, and they need our help to, to talk to them, to listen to them. And of course, because the dissatisfactions also added up with anger, and that actually also lead to an ugly saying that we see from the video clip, uh, some of the damages and burdens uh, and destroyed figures and property that belong to the camps authorities. Yes. And so in your role as the director of education and livelihoods programs, you're working on some of these issues. And so in terms of the work that you are doing with KRC, the Korean Refugee Committee, around these challenges that refugees are facing, can you tell us a little bit about some of the, um, the goals that KRC is working for? Yeah, our, our vision, uh, our mission is to make sure that refugees community in Thailand to be able to be self-reliance in the future and this is something we will be working and that's why we say we need to empower refugee leadership we need to empower refugee participation in decision making so that they themselves will be of confident and be on their own and they should not be a kind of a passive recipient of the support and services that offer by the international NGO or community but uh, we believe that even refugees community themselves have so much to to offer as well on their own way, and that need to be empowered and need to be supported uh, as much as we can. And this can be through education, right? Camps management, leadership, and then offering livelihood opportunity, train them, give them some sort of skill and, and knowledge where they can find for their opportunity create their own income generations or family and even within the refugees camps. And, and that's something that we believe is important. And we have been doing that in terms of CAT administrations when most of the camps leader, medic, teachers are all refugees recruited from the camps. We don't hire anyone unless we have volunteers who want to offer, uh, but a majority, almost all of them are refugee recruited and trained and in turn, they serve 
their community back in different areas and capacity. So uh, this is our main uh, vision. And of course, we believe that we need uh, solutions and uh, not just keep it in the camp. And we don't believe that refugee camp cannot live forever. And that's not good. So that's why we have been advocating and giving messages we can to UNHCR, Thai Authority and donors that refugees need more space. The refugees need more space. They need opportunity, they need space to be given as much as anyone as their basic right. So our first two main advocacy messages uh, include education rights. Where a lot of young people express their, their desire for education. We have educations in the camp, but it is very limited comparing to, to other institutions and school where they have adequate support and further but in refugee camp, it is very limited. And we cannot think of refugee educations as an emergency need anymore because they have been living there. They need to set up their own future. And this is important. So this is our important message that refugee have better opportunity in pursuing educations having options, having alternative ways where they can develop their future. And secondly, livelihood is important because the support given to refugees is very limited. And that's why they need extra income for family. And without having adequate support income, that will lead to many problems within the family census initially. So if you look at the camp's content itself, it's already problematic for me because you are you are you are living in a confined environment in a confined environment without having opportunity to go out and that's already a problem it's already a challenge for us so if refugee were given opportunity to go out legally i think that we have to solve a big issues that we have to solve a big issues because i think refugee have a capacity provided they given opportunity to develop their own potential, confidence, and contribute to economy as well. And, and I think what's important for me as someone responsible for education, I believe young people in the camp have so much potential to contribute, not only to refugee community, but community and around them and wherever they are. And I can see a big, I mean, a good example where you have current young people resettled to third country. Many of them able to contribute to where they live to the host community, receive a community, and many of them actually contribute back to their refugee community. Many of them came back and work with the community here. And I can, I, I can see a lot of um, contribution there. And that's, if that opportunity given when they live in the camp, I hope and believe that they contribute more mm. and larger to the largest community. Mm. I think that's so true. I can definitely see that from the experiences that I've had both in the camp and also in the U.S., knowing some Korean refugee young people who are doing really amazing things to support their community. And I think this point that you're emphasizing about the ability to go out of the camp is such a, such a crucial one. And this is some of the work that the Korean Refugee Committee is doing, but you're also at the same time involved in a broader network, which is the network of Asian Pacific refugees. This Asia Pacific network of refugees is a coalition between refugee leaders from different parts of Asia and the Pacific. So can you tell us a little bit about how this organization, this network came to be formed and what, what kind of work that you're doing? 
um, our 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 purpose of uh, forming the Asian Pacific Network of Refugee is to strengthen to empower the refugee leadership and participation in decision making, whether internal policy, whether internal programming and or advocacy at different level. And from our experience uh, as refugee or refugee leaders, uh, most of the time we don't have the space in decision making. Usually the only space we have is being an implemented partner, but usually final decisions were made from higher level of uh, uh, bureaucracy. So uh, I think, um, like I mentioned earlier, refugee community have so much to contribute. Refugee, being a refugee is not their choice as well as we know, and no one wants to become a refugee. But we know that those who become a refugee are also one-time citizens of the country or people who have work and with experience and knowledge and with passions. So we believe that by giving and providing and empowering refugee leadership and participation in decision-making and policy influence, it will be more effective in supporting refugee, whether internal humanitarian support, counseling, other humanitarian actions. And we can even imagine and having a refugee, young people, refugee leader in, in serving the world's community or their own respected community. So our, this is our, our key goals, uh, probably, of establishing the, the network in Asian Pacific regions. Thank you. So for those who are interested, the Asia Pacific Network of Refugees is active online and sometimes hosting webinars. So you can definitely find some of the resources available on the internet and we'll include a link here. I think that, as you mentioned, it's such an amazing need that's being filled through this network because as we can see a lot of the academic literature that investigates humanitarianism from a critical perspective is really has been highlighting for a long time some of the um, fundamental flaws we can say with this kind of provision of aid which is really not working for the people that it's aiming to serve so i think that this this network is an example of something quite transformative that's really exciting to uh, to watch and to follow what's developing. So I think that you've given us so much to think about in, in this conversation. And I think a lot of the things that you've emphasized have to do with really the insight and the experience and wisdom that refugees and refugee leaders have to offer and the importance of that message being central to a lot of the humanitarian aid and development work that's being done. So is there anything else that you would like to add or any final takeaways that you can leave us with? Yeah, I mean, thank you, uh, Tris. I think uh, I want to have my last comment. I think, um, yeah, I mean, being a humanitarian actor is also quite challenging. And of course, as refugee leaders, and there, there are challenges. But I think many of us, I think we fail to understand what actually the real meaning of peace is. And for me, in my own personal, I think, uh, experience uh, i think uh, it is it is so much about have to do with the the action that you believe need to be responded and i think i'd align to that you you need to have passions of doing what you believe it is important and i think i see some some of the gap in my work in dealing with other uh, humanitarian development groups that there are gaps because peace building is a process and you don't expect solutions in, in a shorter term or in a few years. 
you need an ongoing actions you need a long term goal and most of most of our uh, development program um, doesn't has that usually um, they we they came with a with a short term program and believing that things will change in in few years but i think this is i think the negative aspect of looking at uh, how participate works for me i think when we fail to understand the context uh, of the situations like burma it it is almost impossible when you talk about peace building peace process and negotiation in a few years you need to have a long term commitments and goal and and most of all you need to have a passions in in a sense you don't give up i mean no matter what and that's why i think the people need you to be there need you to be there and for me i think it is important in the context of refugee in this moment we talk about how refugee community are going through for many years and what's important then they expect the leader to be with them and listen to them and then have them as much as they can and even though it is not up to the expectations and limitations around so i like to work with the community especially like refugee in refugee content you need to be with them and physically listen to them and not only kind of bring in support and fulfill their basic need but the psychological social need are much much deeper mm. and that need to be understood and that can only happen when you stand with them and listen and talk to them yeah, yeah i think that's that's what something i want to add that in my yeah my words thank you tris thank you hayso that's a powerful uh, final message to leave us with so we'll end on that note thank you so much hayso for taking the time to speak with us my name is therese gagnon i've been speaking with hayso thako and thank you our listener for joining the nordic asia podcast showcasing nordic collaboration in studying asia you have been listening to the nordic asia podcast